This is Juror 13. You are Juror 13. Tonight you'll hear interviews, opinions, and reports. Then you will have an opportunity to decide. This is Malice, Money, Motorcycles, and Murder, the Randy Stevens case, Savannah, Georgia. Status, currently unsolved, 21 years. Juror 13 is brought to you in partnership with Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is offering an $80,000 reward for tips leading to the successful capture and prosecution of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Randy Stevens. At the end of this program, learn how to contact Crime Stoppers anonymously to help solve this case. The ideas, insights, and theories expressed in the following program are opinions and are not necessarily those of the producers. All persons are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Welcome to Juror 13. In the last episode of Juror 13, we spoke at length with Bobby Stevens and Carlos Wilkerson about what their thoughts and experiences were in the aftermath of Randy Stevens' murder. Clearly, they had opinions of what they saw and what they heard that day when they returned to the Stevens' house and later at Bobby's house. We wanted to give Linda a chance to respond to some of the things that were being said because she felt slighted by them and she wanted to bring some clarity to the issue. Before we begin this interview, I want to be clear with you that Linda Stevens had been available to us at every opportunity. She met us multiple times. We sat down, we ate with her, she met us at a library, and then she invited us into her home twice. Like I've mentioned before, she's a self-assured woman who clearly keeps her own counsel. Linda has had to listen to the whispers, the theories, and the downright blatant accusations of folks. In my estimation, what can be mistaken for what sometimes seems to be an unemotional concern or maybe a little bit of detachment from the situation may possibly be nothing more than a hardened exterior formed from suffering 21 years of these accusations. All the while, she's had to try to grieve and come to terms with what happened at that terrible morning. So we met with her one more time to address her concerns about some of the things that were stated in episode two. Getting right to it, let's talk about some of the witness statements that were made and how Linda's claims refute them. In this last episode, when Carlos was recounting what he remembered of his own conversation with Linda about the incident, he recalled her saying that she had been shot at. I had already spoken with Linda at this point, so I think you can even hear my surprise. We went to uh, kind of clean up the the blood that was in, left in the doorway. Um, we kind of looked around. From her story, she said she got shot at. So that was my first thing. I'm trying to see where did the bullet go that they shot at her. We never found another bullet, straight Linda bullet. Linda said she was shot at. That's what she. That was her story. She got. She was shot at. She told that to you. Yeah, she told that to, to the police. That was that was her story, her first story. So you looked for the bullet. Holes. I looked for the bullet. I looked in every wall. I looked at the edge of the couch, and I stood in the door, and looked. If he, she was turning and going down the hallway where she said she was going, he shot at her, and I, to this day, I never found a bullet hole. Now here's Linda explaining her version of things. I didn't say shots. What I said, and I told the detective the same thing. When I was at, when I came from the door, I ran to the kitchen phone 
the phone is mounted on the wall by the stove. I reached up as I put my hand up on it, I looked back, and the guy with the ski mask was pointing a gun at me, and I thought he was gonna shoot me. So I turned and ran. As I ran, I heard a gunshot. I assumed he was shooting at me. Why wouldn't I? Now remember, this is Carlos Wilkerson quoting Linda, and in one instance, he is stating what she said to the police. So because of this, now pay attention to this, because of this time frame and the fact that he wasn't even there when she spoke with the police, it becomes even more convoluted because now it's what he said that she said that she told the police. That's the actuality of it. There's clearly some difference of opinion there and there's more. Now we're going to revisit the experience that Bobby and Carlos had during the unfortunate task of cleaning up later that evening after the murder. You may recall that the two of them remember seeing a gun, albeit recalled in very different scenarios. So her story was, she went down the hall, and when she got to her bedroom, she grabbed the phone off the nightstand. And I ran that back through my mind, so I went to the nightstand, and when I looked, there's a pistol laying right by. If you would have reached six inches from that phone to that gun, is how close the gun would have been if that was the case. Do you know what kind of gun it was? Uh, a small revolver, I mean a small automatic pistol. In, in the master bedroom, when I was just looking, you know, just seeing, trying to see if anything was out of place or connect the dots, mm -hmm. I did find a pistol in the headboard of the bed. It looks like there were some shelves, and you could slide this little thing back. And that, that was, was part the, of the headboard of the bed? Yes, of the master bedroom. What kind of pistol was it? It looked like a semi-automatic. Linda tried to shed some light on what may have happened there. She had a very clear explanation. Carlos said he saw my gun in my army purse on the floor by my nightstand. Mm -hmm. Bobby said it was on the, on the nightstand. Which one I'm telling the truth? Well, you're... Now, my 380 was outside in my RV. Right, I know that. My 25 automatic was keep on the back of the headboard up top. Mm -hmm. It had fell behind the bed and I never got it. I had no reason to get it from under the bed. What we're hearing now is that there was a 25 caliber automatic, but that it was on the floor under the headboard where it had fallen, and she was not able to retrieve it during the attack. One of the other points that Linda wanted to make clear uh, was about Bobby's statements concerning Doug Frierson. Now, I have to let you know that uh, I heard Mr. Frierson speaking on the phone. Um, he did not want to be included in this broadcast, but I was able to find out some things about him, and he's a very honorable guy. He's a Vietnam vet. He does all kinds of charitable work. He's a, a storied and legendary motorcycle racer, and um, Linda wanted to make clear some facts about him and maybe dispel some of the rancor that was caused by Bobby's statements. 
I wouldn't see any reason for Doug Freitzen to even be at my house. Was Doug, to your knowledge, was Doug a friend of Randy's? No. Now, now they spoke. I mean, everybody in the worst racing world tries to get along. Mm -hmm. But so far as trusting, mm -hmm. Randy would have never trusted Doug to do nothing. When I learned of Doug, I gathered from my brother that um, he wasn't to be trusted. Uh, Bobby doesn't know Doug Fryson. Okay. Carlos knew him. Mm -hmm. If Carlos have a dislike for Doug, then he probably told uh, Bobby that I have no idea um, how that came about um, for Bobby to say those things. Right. But um, I've never had a problem with Doug. And Randy, Doug's never Randy done had anything no to me or Randy. Randy. Randy had zero problems Randy with him. spoke to Doug. Randy has talked to Doug when he was at the races. Mm -hmm. Randy has never, ever told me I could not talk to Doug. I'm mm -hmm. a grown woman. Mm -hmm. Randy has never said, Linda, I don't want you talking to Doug. He's never said anything that. Either way, Linda called Mr. Frierson in my presence. They've known each other for a very long time. As a matter of fact, when she met him, Linda was still in high school. Her parents had a Harley-Davidson, and they would go to the races in Atlanta. Mr. Frierson worked there. Uh, and Mr. Frierson indicated to me that as a Marine, it was his nature and his duty to come and help and support Linda in these very sad moments. While revisiting the differences in statements and listening to people recount things, with clearly different opinions, uh, becomes evident that a lot of this stuff is going to be merely point-counterpoint. He said, she said, she said, she said, etc. Uh, what's going to be interesting is when the detective's supplementary reports are revealed, we'll be able to see all the initial statements and find out kind of like who's telling the truth here. Um, for instance, in this next discrepancy, uh, Miss Stevens maintained to me every time I spoke with her that there was only one assailant. Now, given the fact that Miss Stevens and her husband were the only people there, I'm not sure where the other eyewitness testimony comes from. A couple of news feeds, though, and Bobby Stevens both indicate that there are two assailants. Uh, again, in all of our, my conversations with her, at least, there was only one. Here's Bobby Stevens. There was supposed to be two masked men there mm -hmm. with masks on. Randy went to his truck, from what Linda said. On his way back in the house, she said that two people attacked him from outside. Mm -hmm. And she said two people attacked him? Yes, yeah, she said there were two masked men. I can still literally see Linda shaking her head no as soon as I finished the question. Then she said this. I never told them that. Okay. I told them there was a man with a ski mask. Mm -hmm. I only saw one man mm -hmm. with a ski mask. He was short. And that's the same thing I told the detectives. One of the tougher issues, or I should say the more confusing issues to look at, is that both Bobby and Carlos stated 
that Randy had told them that he was going to be leaving on the morning of October 10th. Uh, Bobby went so far as to say that he saw a suitcase in the truck when they returned to the house from the hospital. Now, what's difficult is that both men stated this unequivocally. And if it's true, it's most likely true also that if he had intended to leave, he would either obfuscate or hide this information from Linda. She might not have knowledge of it. I mean, that would be kind of the normal thing to do if you were planning on leaving. I don't know if you'd want to enter into a volatile situation right away. You'd kind of like maybe say goodbye at the last second, have your stuff packed and be ready to go. Here's Carlos. He told me he was done. He said, um, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to stay with Mama them. And, um, and he told me he changed the wheel, but we couldn't ever find it. So... Um, he also, uh, there may have been another woman that he was, uh, in love with that he may have been leaving for that reason as well. I don't know if that was the reason for him leaving from what he was telling me. He's just tired of the, the crap that he had to put up with. Could it have added to it? It could have. talking to him and he said, um, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. I said, leaving to do what? He said, I'm going to um, move to Douglas, Georgia and um, with my mother. I said, I said, okay. I said, well, do you think it's a good idea to stay here tonight if, if you're going to leave tomorrow? He said, Bobby, I'll be fine, man. I said, well, you can go over to the condo because I, at that point, had moved back in with my family, and no one was living in the condo, and I hadn't rented it out yet. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, just go over there and crash, you know, and um, call me in the morning when you get ready to leave. Unknowingly that he wouldn't have made it till that morning, <laughs> you know, because I got that the, the following morning, I got the call that um, so he was shot. That's the last conversation you had. Yeah, that's the last conversation I had with my brother. And and I knew that when I got there, the truck was running and the suitcase was in there. You, you observed the suitcase? I saw that myself. Okay. Yeah, I went to the truck, looked in it. So it's possible that he had told her that morning? He either told her or she saw something. So the elephant in the room or the bombshell that we keep walking around without mentioning directly is the reason that they say he was leaving. Now, Carlos' comment is a bit more general. He refers to the fact that Randy told him he's going to live with his mom and dad for a while, whereas Bobby states very clearly that Randy was moving in with another person, the other woman with whom he was involved. We've deleted the name of that individual per her request for reasons of her privacy, but we note here that Linda Stevens isn't worried about her own privacy. Mrs. Stevens put her cards on the table for us. When I asked her what it was like to be at that last race in Jacksonville and to be around the woman that Randy had been involved with, and in general, what was it like for her to have to deal with that situation once she knew? 
This is what Linda told us. I didn't say anything to her because she had stopped speaking to me way before that race. Right. And that's what made me suspicious of her. And I decided, let me look at Randy's cell phone. Right. And I see her memory where she's been calling my husband. And I called her and asked her, why are you calling my husband? Mm -hmm. And she, she told me, I was just calling him to talk about Carlos and racing. I, I don't mess with married men. Well, that was a lie. I suspected it. I never caught Randy with her. Mm -hmm. I never seen them anywhere together. Mm -hmm. She just stopped speaking to me for no reason. I didn't know why. And some, I just, something just didn't feel right. Right. And I noticed she was hanging around more, trying to hang around more, right. hang right. around like a leech. Right. And, you know, oh, I was one of those girls. I, when I was going to the restaurant, I used to like the fastest guy, the guy with the fastest bike. Everybody admired the fastest guy. I ain't hating on her for that. But she can get her own man. Right. Right. But maybe she had a thing for married men, I don't know. But my husband had not said he was leaving me. He didn't pack nothing to leave. Right. Linda then went on to explain to me that Randy was not leaving her that morning, nor did he have plans to leave her at any other time. She had this to say about the suitcase in the truck. The, what about the claims that there was a suitcase in the truck? Suitcase. There was no suitcase. My, that night before we went to bed, everything was fine. Mm -hmm. Randy didn't pack anything that night or that week. When Randy got up in the morning, he got up. I always get up first. Mm -hmm. I got up. When I got dressed, I went to make our lunch. Randy got up behind me. And I was going down the hall. We met. He kissed me on the lip. He said, I'm going to go crank my truck up. I said, but well, don't don't leave it without before I leave because it's so dark outside. Mm -hmm. He had his backpack. Randy was carrying a backpack to work before he married me. Mm -hmm. He had his backpack. It was on his front seat. Randy doesn't have a suitcase. Randy used a sports bag. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that carried a suitcase when we went out of town before we got the RV. Randy has always used a sports bag. He's never used a suitcase to go out of town. During our conversation, Linda clearly defined the boundaries of her marriage to Randy. She went on to explain to me, under no uncertain terms, that she'd been married before, that this was her third marriage, and that they both knew exactly what they were getting into and what they would and would not endure. Well, I talked to Randy. Randy said he wanted to make the marriage work. We had planned to go to Biloxi in November for Thanksgiving. But let me make this clear. Randy is not my first husband. Randy is my third husband. I can take care of myself. I don't need a man to take care of me, and I'm not afraid to leave a marriage. And if Randy wanted to leave, I wouldn't tell him don't go. There you have it, folks. She says it clearly. If he wanted to go, he could have. I wouldn't have stopped him. That's what we got married. If this doesn't work, I want to move back to Spanishville Apartments, my townhouse, where I come from. I don't want his house. That's his house. That's not my one. I don't need three lots. I, I, I don't need that. Now Linda is fast disposing of motive. She states that she can take care of herself, she has a good income, she made more money than Randy, and frankly, that the marriage was upscaled economically by her presence. 
You know, I made my own, I was retired from the Army. I made my own money. I was teaching high school. I made more money than my husband. As a matter of fact, when my husband wrote ProMod before we got together, he wrote for Curtis West. When I met my husband, that's what he was doing. He had two top gas bikes. But when we got married, our income changed. So we decided we're going to race ProMod. Mm -hmm. Linda called my attention to the moment in which Carlos suggested that there may have been a new will that was located in one of the safes in the house. They couldn't find it, apparently. He told me he was done. He said, um, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to stay with Mama and them. And, um, and he told me he changed the will, but we couldn't ever find it. So, Randy never had a will until he married me. Because in the Army, we are taught to have a will, get your finances in order. If you get deployed, your family will have to get a lawyer to try to get your benefits. I had a will when I met Randy. When we got married, we came back from my honeymoon. We went on the military base. I got him a military ID card. I changed my will to include Randy in my will. And Randy made his first will on a military base. Randy had 10, we've been together 11 years, married for 10. He had 10 years ago changed his will if he wanted. He didn't have to go on base to change his will. You can go to the courthouse and get one or order one offline. Fill it out and get it notarized. When people are jealous of what you got, this, like I said, this is about money and greed. They're worried about how much money I got when Randy died. Well, let me put it on the table. I was more, worth more dead than Randy. Randy couldn't afford to run ProMod until he married me. Really? There's no motive. And you're saying there's there was no motive from either? There's no motive from the money, so what are you left with? I don't know. In this instance, there really is nothing to refute. There's nothing to conclude other than, I think I understand all Miss Stevens' points. I think I'm beginning to understand her emotions, especially that surround this issue. The truth about a new will, even if it does exist, is obscured from us, simply because there isn't a copy anywhere. Carlos can claim knowledge of what could have been, but Linda is stating knowledge of what is. I guess the will that Randy wanted was the one that they used. And if he had intended to make another one, most likely, theoretically, he would not have advised Linda. In reality, though, if it was true and something that he had intended to do, he must not have gotten around to it or it was lost or something else. I have to reiterate that some of these disputed points will be resolved by the portions of the police reports that we're going to obtain. Uh, it's difficult because, though it's a cold case, it's still an open case and a homicide. Therefore, a lot of the facts will be kept under wraps. A good portion of what you're hearing on Juror 13 in the Randy Stevens case is people in pain. Simply people in pain. Whether they sound angry whether they sound sad, they're people in pain. And they're people that are so ravenous and so consumed with finding justice that sometimes they conflate the facts, which are few, with the need to assign blame and have a perpetrator on their radar, someone that they can sort of have as their common enemy. Somewhere in all of this, I'm convinced 
that we will find the person or the persons who killed Randy Stevens. It's going to be extremely difficult. But the harder we search, the longer we search, it will become self-evident. In the words of William Shakespeare, truth will come to light. Murder cannot be hid long as a man's son may, but in the end, truth will out. Thanks very much. I'm Tom Mullady. We'll see you on the next Jura 13. I know I talked to you all about Crime Stoppers last week and the value that this tremendous anonymous program holds. The Randy Stevens case has a reward for $80,000. And I've stated that before. Everybody knows that now. There's $80,000 out there if you can help solve the case. I know that you are out there. I know that you are. I know that you're listening and I know that you know something about this case. So take a good long look in the mirror and understand that there's a big difference between doing the right thing and snitching. So choose to do the right thing. The Stevens family needs your help. Click on Crime Stoppers logo or press play on the Crime Stoppers executive director, Brittany Heron's explanation of how to go about helping and collecting your reward. Juror13.live. When the episode is over, the facts remain. Juror13.live. Photos, facts, and faces. See the people and the events that we talk about in every episode. Read opinions, reports, and theories. Vote on Juror13.live. You are Juror13. Interact with special guests on announced dates and post your opinions and surveys about certain people, places, and things associated with Juror13. Download episodes. Join our first alerts list. Help us to help the Stevens family, folks. Remember, you can listen to new episodes of Juror 13 Weekly on Spotify, or you can just listen to any past episode or update at any time you desire on Juror13.live. Juror 13 relies on your support to continue our mission. If you'd like to become part of what we're doing, we gratefully accept any contribution Simply click on the coffee cup icon and choose any amount or just follow the prompts. We thank you. Juror 13 would like to thank Carlos Wilkerson, Linda Stevens, Bobby Stevens, Maya Eschett, Brittany Heron over at Savannah Chatham County Crime Stoppers, Travis Bickle, Per Ubu for the theme music, and the incredible Martine Rothstein, my producer. I'm Tom Mullady. And remember, Go to Juror13.live. You are Juror13. Juror13 is an Empty Nest LLC production.